1 Samuel 15, but the Amalekites met the Israelites and were very hostile towards them and attacked them. And, and the Lord promised a judgment because there was really no need for it. They weren't enemies naturally or anything like that. They were a group of slave people coming out and they just want to pass through. And God says, I'm going to remember that and I'm going to bring judgment on the Amalekites. But He gave them a space of 400 and something years uh, to repent. And they did not as a people. Does it mean individual Amalekites might not have gotten saved or come to know Jehovah, but He brought judgment on the nation. And God was going to use His first king of His people, Israel, to bring the judgment in battle. Okay, So let's read this. And in 1 Samuel 15, we're going to we'll kind of skip around, but we'll start at the beginning. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord had sent me to anoint thee to be king over His people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them and tell him 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. All right, we're going to skip down. So they have the battle. Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. I will skip, uh, we'll read one more verse, I'm sorry. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and of the lambs and of all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile, that basically means uh, everything that was vile, everything that was maybe worthless, some crippled, you know, skinny old cow or something like that, they, they destroyed. In refuse, they destroyed utterly. And... So here, here's the, the layout just initially. Saul, Samuel was the man of God. He was a priest of God. And he was a prophet. And he was God's man for that hour. No doubt about it. Samuel was the man the Lord had chosen to deal with His people Israel. And he's the one that anointed Saul to be the first king of Israel when the, when the people in their, their stubbornness rejected Jehovah from being their king. They wanted a king like the other weak nations around them. And they got him. And they got Saul. And Saul started out very well. We know that. And here, God's going to use him to be an arm of His judgment on the Amalekites. And Samuel gives him the, the, the commandment from the Lord. He goes out and we read about it. We read he, the commandment was to utterly destroy and spare not. Right? Everything. Again, it doesn't mean that people... You know, sometimes we read a judgment like that, it's severe and it is. Kill the infants... And the animals, what did they do wrong? And you start questioning things like that. It's not the point of what they did wrong. It doesn't mean that individual children or adults could not call out to Jehovah and be saved. All right? It doesn't mean that because they died, they went to hell. It means he brought a judgment on the nation. And this was the type of judgment he wanted to bring. And so what does Saul do? He smites uh, he smites the Amalekites, but he spared the king, Agag. He spared the best of everything. Best sheep, best oxen, best cattle, 
everything and brings them back. Alright, then came the word. So there's another word following the first word. Go and do this commandment. Right after the battle, another word comes from the Lord to Saul. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. Not that the Lord repents in the sense that He repents of sin, but He can, because of men's circumstances and failures, He can change His mind. Okay? In that sense, He doesn't repent of sin. It repents me that, that I have made Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. The Samuel loved the Lord. Samuel also loved Saul. He did. He loved him to the day he died. But he, he, it, it grieved him. And he, he cried and he prayed. Alright, let's keep reading. Skip down to verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. It's interesting how people in positions, he's in a position of authority. Saul is the king. In authority over God's people, a holy people, and so forth. And he can smile and put on a big face and say the right things. Blessed be the Lord. I've kept His commands. He's saying everything right. It's just wonderful. You know, he got, may have a little entourage around him applauding, but he did not. It's not what, what happened at all. He did not keep the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They... A little bit like uh, Adam, right? Pointing to Eve. And Saul said, They, points to his soldiers, brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. Oh, he puts a good spiritual twist on it. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little, y'all circle this one in your Bible. This is what we're talking about today. Verse 17. When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but did fly upon the spoil, and did evil in the sight of the Lord? Skip down to verse 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. This is what the Lord calls it. Every man's got a rebellious spirit in him. It's called self. Even Christians, if we don't watch it and come to that cross and die daily, there is a rebellion in us. But we can, as we get older, we can learn to mask it and cover it. And we can put a smile on our face and in our heart, there's this rebellion against it. We obey because we got to obey. But not because it's in our heart to obey sometimes. And so he, he says it says the iniquity of idolatry because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Again, it doesn't mean that Saul couldn't repent. Doesn't mean he couldn't be saved. Doesn't mean his relationship with God couldn't be restored. 
just keep that in mind. You think, well, it's not fair because David did some horrible things and you know God established his covenant with him forever. God can do what he wants to do, but he's merciful. And had Saul repented at any point from here forward in his life, he could have been restored unto the Lord. God did say he was taking the kingdom from him. Didn't say he was taking heaven from him. Okay? Or any kind of walk with him. We have to remember this in the judgments of God that God is still merciful. People can still I think about Achan. I don't know why I'm talking about this, but you know that when when uh Joshua led the Israelites and the in the Jericho fell, the walls fell and they went in. Achan took of the accursed thing and brought folly and sin into the land, and people died because of his sin, and God judged him. And it doesn't mean that Achan couldn't have repented and been right with the Lord. The judgment of capital punishment was still going out upon him and his family. He still could be right with the Lord. So just remember that. It's very merciful of the Lord that he's only going to take Saul's kingdom away from him. Okay? And so here's the key verse to me. First of all, this is a tragic story. And it's almost like the beginning of the end for Saul. He's going to live a lot longer. Many, many years. He's going to live long enough to chase David in the wilderness year after year and, and to finally die in a battle against the Philistines at the end of his life when he's consulting a, a familiar spirits and a witch to find out if he's going to prosper or not. That's how the mighty have fallen. To me, that's a, a, it'd be a beautiful... Uh, I don't know, you know these old Shakespeare plays of tragedies? This would be a tragedy. The life of Saul. And, the, and so anyway, to me, the key verse that we're talking about today, there's a lot of things we can glean from this. But in verse 17, Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? When you were little in your own sight, you were made something. When you were little, you weren't king. You, you didn't consider yourself worthy to be king at all. When you were little in your own sight, God made you something. God anointed you to be king over His people. What an honor. What a privilege. What about the Lord just to lift somebody up and set them in a position like that? And the, 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 you would say, how did it happen? How did it come to this? What we just read. How does it come? Uh, why did it happen in Saul's life? And the key was that he was no longer little in his own sight. Obviously, we gain that from the Scripture that he was no longer that. I want to read this Scripture. You don't have to turn there. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, Now all these things happen unto them, to Israel, for examples. And they are written for our admonition, that means warning, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There had no temptation taken you, but such that is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That is telling me that uh, there's a word for our church today. And this is the word that the Lord gave me for our church, for me, for you as individuals. What is He saying to our church from the story of Saul? Well, maybe a lot of things. The obedience part, better than sacrifice. But I'm not focusing on that today. We're going to focus on this being little in our own sight. Amen. And here's what I believe the Word is for our church and for us. As we are growing in Christ, 
And I can see you growing in Christ. Little by little, I've seen some wonderful things in our church and individuals. You have to look at yourself and say, there was a time not too long ago I would not have got up in front of a congregation and opened in prayer. There are people here in this church that would not have done that. There, the Lord's doing something in our midst. He's doing something in us individually. And He's doing something in our church and collectively. And it's a wonderful thing. But I would, what the Lord is saying to us this morning as we're growing in Christ, as we're being used by the Lord in greater measure and in greater ways. The Foxy's outreach. I think about, you know, Liz teaches at Foxy's or gets up here and opens. I'm just picking Liz. It, it could be anybody. There are people that didn't, that's relatively new for you. But it's a wonderful thing. And God's just done it. Nobody can take credit for it. It's just something that the Lord's doing, right? And He's using us in greater ways. Uh, we're learning the Bible and Bible doctrine more, aren't we? I mean, we're learning biblical doctrine and sound doctrine day in and day out. And we're growing in our understanding of the Scriptures. Do we have a lot further to go? Absolutely. But we are moving on. Okay, we're gaining what I would say spiritual stature and growing. We're walking in greater victory over sin. But the Lord is saying it's necessary that we remain little in our own sight. With all that He's doing, okay, you look around and say, well, it doesn't look like He's doing a lot. He is doing a lot. He's doing a lot in the lives of individuals spiritually. And that's, that's, the, that's what He's after. It's not numbers. I know God can get numbers. I know we want more numbers. Certainly, that's God's heart for souls to be saved and to be discipled. But in an individual's life, for Him to get hold of that life and bring them about, bring them on in Christ, that's really what He's after. He's the potter and we're the clay. It's necessary that we remain little in our own sight, not in pretense, but in reality. I said it earlier, all of us can fake a good humility and fake a good spiritual you know, face that we can put on. I looked up these words, and they're very simple words. Little, I looked up little and sight. Because the same was said when you were little in your own sight, Saul. So little means least, least in age, quality, or importance. Least in age, quality, or importance. That's what little means. And your own sight means in your own conceit, in your own look, in your, your own think, how you think of yourself, and in your own regard. So, when you were considered yourself and regarded yourself, Saul, the least, least in importance. That's how you looked at yourself. You regarded yourself as being the least. God anointed you to be king of His people. God made you to be something. And if we're going to, and He is, be made something by the Lord, we're already saved. We're already, most are already saved. We're already His children. And we're going to heaven one day. But as, as we're making this progress in the Lord, there has to be an, an awareness and an understanding of my own, how I esteem myself. I have to esteem myself as being little. I've preached a lot of sermons on humility, and this would be similar to that. 
but it may be just a little bit different. But let's think about this. Praise God, I would say now we're, we're in Christ. We weren't before we got saved. We're in church consistently. Maybe you weren't. Maybe Cornerstone Church is the first time you've really been consistent in church. And I know a lot of you, and that is the case for, for many of you. You didn't used to come on Wednesdays all the time or Sunday school or the prayer meetings and so forth. And now we find ourselves consistent in church. Uh, we've made a choice. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Am I speaking? Is this not right? I believe this is where we are as a people. Uh, we've made a choice to live godly. We're on His path. We've, we've made a choice to live uh, in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord. And I guess you would say we're, we're settled in. We're settled into this niche. This Christian niche. We've got church life. It all works in perfectly with the rest of our life. We put the, the importance upon church life we should have in our family prayer times. And I would say, this may not be totally perfectly the case, but as a whole, you could say we're doing well. We're doing well in Christ. We're doing well in the Lord. Nobody could just uh, come to your life and point a finger at you and say, you know, so-and-so, you're really failing in this area. Because it's not... It's not any kind of outward failure. We're doing well. You and I must be vigilant to, to remain truly humble and to remain hungry for the Lord. And this is just the, the thought for this morning. That word vigilant, you know, is used in the Bible. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary is a roaring lion. The devil right, walks, walks about seeking whom he may devour. And so we're to be vigilant. That means to be sober. That means to be circumspect, to keep awake, to watch. And y'all, there's no place in this Christian life for pride. There's just no place in it. Not a hidden pride, not an outward pride, not a any kind of pride. There's no place in this Christian life for pride, for arrogancy, for self-sufficiency. God sees it, and He wants us to see it if it's there. And I'm speaking to myself uh, more than anyone. There's no place in this Christian life for letting up, for putting your Christianity on autopilot, for coasting from here on out. We've got to a good, pretty high level of Christianity. You know, and we've got everything in place. We're praying with the family and we're, we're tithing and we're, you know, we've gotten to a good place. And there's no place for carelessness. There's no place to coast. There's no place to be lax. There's no place... Uh, when it comes to our Christian character, to, to not be diligent, to take heed to ourselves, to look and examine ourselves. It has to be that. And so, we're doing well right now. And, but somewhere along the way, it could be like Saul, that we can begin to think, I've got this. I've got this. And we don't have this. We can't get to the place where we say, I've got it now. Every All my Christianity, I've got a few blips on the radar, but basically, I used to be way down here. My church life was a wreck. My family life was a wreck. And now we've established, and I thank the Lord for it, okay? We're con consistent in church. We're consistent in family prayer times and personal prayer times. We're learning the Bible. We're learning doctrine. We're serving God in different ways. And yet, we cannot come to the place like Saul where we think, 
I've got this. We cannot come to a place where we forget, listen, our desperate need for Jesus. Our desperate need for the Lord Jesus Christ along the way in all things and in everything. We can't take our eyes off of the Lord. And we, we could fail somewhere along the line. We, be, we can begin to, to not be little in our own sight. And we fail to remain little, least in importance in our own sight. Saul began to, to love his own kingdom more than the king of kings. That's what happened. God, he was nothing. He didn't have a kingdom. God took him and made him a king when he was nothing. Okay? Least of his tribe. and His tribe, the least of Israel, the Benjamites, according to him. And God makes him the first king of his people. And now he takes his eye and he prophesied with the prophets, remember? Early on, it became a proverb. Because Saul also of the prophets. And he was humble. And he uh, was allowing the Lord to set him up and do these things in his life. And didn't esteem himself worthy of any of it. Somewhere along the way, he came to a place where that kingdom that God gave him was more important than the God that gave him the kingdom. And he didn't want to lose that kingdom. We didn't have time to read it all. But if you read it, he wanted to save face in front of the people. You know what I mean by save face? Don't make, you know, just smile. Don't make me look bad, Saul. All the soldiers are watching us here. Come and worship the Lord. Let's offer the sacrifice. and Stay by my side. You're the priest. Everybody knows you're the holy man of God. Stick with me. Don't, don't embarrass me in front of my men. In front of the people. He wanted to hang on to his kingdom to his reputation among men. And God was nowhere in that picture at all. Should have hit his knees and said, God, forgive me. You see what I'm saying? God, forgive me. But there was none of that. And there was none of that till the day he died. We don't see any place. That's why I say it's a tragedy. Shakespeare should have written about this. It, it, we don't see any place where he repented. He just the last person he consulted was a witch. And then he went out and died in battle. Uh, it was a very sad ending. But it's necessary that you and I, as a blood-bought children of God, esteem ourselves as nothing apart from Christ. Now, all the world talks about self-esteem, doesn't it? I bet if I asked students in school, this was not when I was in school, okay? They kick our rear ends when I was in school, you know, but but now they want, to, they want to pump you up and make you think you're so special and you're so wonderful. Not that God created us unique, but just for no earthly reason, you're special. You know what I mean? And you're, you're, you're this and you're that. And it's all about because we want you to esteem yourself very highly. That is totally contrary to Scripture. Now, it does not mean that we have to hate ourselves and, and literally beat ourselves up and, and try to run out in front of a truck and get hit so, because we hate ourselves so much. That's not what it, it's saying. There's, a, there's an understanding to me. It's just a basic... Two Scriptures kind of summarize it to me. Jesus said, apart from Me, you can do nothing. That is absolute true and truth. Amen. Apart from Me... You can do nothing. So we're to abide in Him. He's the vine, right? And His words to dwell in us. 
But he, Paul says, uh, the Holy Spirit says in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Both of those are equally true. But the center of both of those was Christ. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We don't, have, we don't esteem ourselves just for no reason because the world tells us we're so special. And yet maybe spiritually we're destitute you know, and depraved and sinner and not seeking after God and nothing. And, and yet in Christ, we find our place. He makes us what we were not before. His child, His sons and daughters. He spills all kinds of blessings on our lives. He pours all kinds of blessings and said, I've made you the head and not the tail. I've made you more. We're all, all these things were more than conquerors through love who loves us. We're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. That's not to pump up our self-esteem. That's because what Christ can do in a sinner who comes to Him by faith. The fact of the matter is still, apart from Christ, I can do nothing. And the fact of the matter is still, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you want to call it a balance, whatever you want to call it, it's a proper understanding in Christ. But Christ is everything in that life. We're nothing without Him. can do nothing without Him. We can do everything He calls us to do in Him. If He calls you to be the only believer on the planet, and you say, how can I do this? Everybody's contrary. Everybody. My parents. My Everybody's contrary. And you're the only believer. You could do it. Through Christ who strengthens you. That's my point. Okay? But apart from Him, we're nothing. We have to remain little in our own sight. My thought and my view of myself, I'm told in the Bible, is to be meek and lowly. Not weak and wimpy. Meek and lowly. Jesus said, take my yoke and learn of me. I'm lowly. I'm meek and lowly in heart. Right? He's describing Himself. It says, learn of me. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus and so forth. It's not one of self-esteem and pumping ourselves up. It's humbling ourselves under the hand of God. And so a truly humble person, y'all, and this is what I think the Lord is just warning our church about, is that with all that He's doing in our lives and the, the steady, I would call it like a steady, good, solid growth in Christ spiritually. I think it's wonderful. I don't want to change anything as far as that goes. But the, the admonition to us is to, to remain little in our own sight. And a truly humble person is going to realize and remember and be aware of, one, who and what they were or I was before Christ so graciously saved me. What were you? Even if you got saved as a child, now where would you be without the Lord right now? Okay, It's not so hot. It's not so wonderful. He, he describes it. Okay, we're just, there's none profitable. And so that's, that was us. We were na- children of wrath and so forth. We need to remember that. And we also need to remember, and a humble person does this, our own great need for the Lord at every moment now that I am saved. We don't put it on coast. We don't have it. We have to remember our great need for the Lord now and for all eternity. I want you to look with me, if you would. It's the only other scripture we're going to turn to is Second uh, Corinthians chapter ten. We know this story about Paul and this thorn in the flesh. Second Corinthians ten, 
I'm sorry, 12. 2 Corinthians 12. We're going to read three verses, 4, 5, and 7. 2 Corinthians 12, 4, 5, and 7. He's speaking about these, what he saw and what the Lord revealed to him. How that he was caught up, speaking about himself, into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself will, not, will I not glory, but in my infirmities. Verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. So I want to just stop there and, and use this as a, to further this point, that Paul was doing well in the Lord. I think that's putting it mildly. Okay, He was doing well in the Lord. Things were, not that he didn't have persecutions, imprisonments, and being stoned and beaten, shipwrecked, but in Christ, spiritually, he was doing very well. And, but the Lord, and he had, he had these specific and special revelations that God showed him. Things that other men had not seen. Things that the Lord allowed Paul to be caught up into the third heaven, he says, and to see that we didn't read all that part. But he, there were these abundance of revelations that were given to him. And probably many of them are things that he preached to the churches and so forth. And, and so he was doing very well, but the Lord gave to Paul a messenger of Satan, it says. The Lord gave it, but he allowed a messenger of Satan to bring a thorn for Paul's benefit. The, benefit. the thorn was in his flesh. And he thought the Lord in His wisdom saw it as necessary to give this to Paul. This thorn in the flesh. Lest I should be exalted above measure. So that was the purpose in it. Right? So that's the only two times that word, that specific word exalted is used in the Bible. I thought it was very interesting. Lest I should be, Paul says of himself, exalted above measure. You know, the only other time that specific word exalted is used in the Scriptures is of Antichrist. When it says in 2 Thessalonians 2.4 that He opposes and exalts Himself above all that is called God, the Antichrist, and it sets Himself up in the temple as God to be worshipped as God. He exalts Himself. Okay? So it makes sense here. God allowed a thorn in Paul's flesh, lest he be exalted above measure. Think about it. He was not the temptation for Paul at this point in his life, and I pray y'all stay with me. Uh, the temptation for Paul in this point of his life was not worldliness. The temptation in this, this point in his life was not uh, not that he couldn't, or it was impossible for him to go back to the world, but just knowing how his life was. It was not some gross immorality. The temptation in Paul's life was that he was doing so well in the Lord. Specifically, because of the abundance of the revelations that God gave me. God took me under His wing and showed him things that He didn't just show every believer even. I'm not jealous or envious. I'm just saying He did that with Paul. And the temptation was not that he would be worldly 
at this point in Paul's life, the temptation was that because he was doing so well in Christ, that he would be exalted above measure. That he would be lifted up in himself. And that's what I'm talking about to our church. That doesn't mean that we don't have to guard against worldliness or immorality or rebellion. Okay, but the, the word for this morning is that we would, as God's blessing our lives and our families and our homes and our walk with Christ and our understanding of the Scriptures <laughs> and our personal victory over sin and things like that, that we not get exalted above measure in ourselves. We don't have to have a thorn in the flesh. We could take heed from Paul's life. We could take heed from Saul's life. Okay? And remain little in our own sight. I just think it's amazing that the, the, God sent this not because He was drifting off into the world and getting lifted up, or that a bunch of people were pumping Paul up saying, you're the greatest, you're the greatest, you're the greatest, and he might have got the big head, okay? But because of the abundance of revelations that God gave him, God sent him a thorn in the flesh, lest he get exalted above measure. Y'all, it's... I don't want you to think that I'm being critical of growing in the Lord. Just the opposite. We ought to grow in the Lord. I pray God gives us all uh, special revelations of Christ and understanding of His Word and a boldness in Christ to witness and to stand for Him. And all these things and a peace that passes understanding and that that grows. All that's wonderful. But we have to remain humble in the midst of that. Morning, noon, and night. You know, yesterday, today, tomorrow, every day. We need to keep that in mind. We need to be aware of that. The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. And uh, Paul says that this messenger of Satan was sent to him to buffet him. I looked up buffet. You might have looked at it. It's not a long definition. It means to box. And it gives an illustration to box in the ear. (laughs) I mean, that, that would be annoying, wouldn't it? Somebody just boxing you and punching you in the ear. I'm not saying this is physically. That's just a description okay, of the Word. But it was like this constant reminder. Okay, Paul, you're not all that. You, what, you, you're what I made you in Christ. Don't get exalted above measure in yourself. That's why Antichrist is Antichrist. That's what caused Satan to fall. He exalted himself. or tried to exalt himself. And so... Um, This is not a one-time thing about being humble. It's an ongoing thing. Throughout the life of a believer, we're to check ourselves, we're to examine ourselves, we're to submit ourselves to God. Again, not in pretense, but in reality, in our heart of hearts. Y'all, this is why you say, well, I always talk about the altar, and I do. And I don't think there's anything necessarily special about this, this wooden platform up here. But I do think there's something special about leaving even if it's just kind of symbolically leaving our seat and saying, I'm going to meet with God at that altar. He's going to meet with me there. And examining ourselves. And it's not one really exciting service that we did that. It's ongoing. It's a lifestyle. The altar should be a part of our lifestyle. Meeting with the Lord. You have one in your home as well. It doesn't have to be like this, but a meeting place with God. But... The one, and I'm going to be bringing this to a close, the one who stays and lives with a truly godly, humble estimation of himself, okay, 
is actually in the perfect place to be. If I will live in a right esteem of myself, then, then I'm in a place where God can grow me. I'm in the place that God can use me. And in great, great, great ways, like some of these great men and women that we read about, okay? There's no limit to how God could use me. But He's not going to use me if I'm lifted up in myself. He will not share His glory with another. He's not going to share His glory with Jesus Christ and Randy. With Jesus Christ and Saul. With Jesus Christ and Paul. It's going to be the Lord. Let him that glorieth glory in the Lord. And so the one that remains little in his own sight, in their own estimation of themselves, is in the perfect place spiritually. The world's trying to pump you up. Esteem yourself. Esteem yourself. Self-love. Self-forgiveness. Self-esteem. All the, oh, There's two more. I forgot. Self-forgiveness. Whatever. There's five of them that Rick Warren has. It's anti-Christian. It's not biblical. Okay, but anyway, but we need to remain little and esteem ourselves that way. The Bible says that had Saul remained little in his own sight, the Lord would have... uh, I'm going to just read this. It says a little bit further, Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the command of the Lord which He commanded thee. Uh, For now would, would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. I mean, the Lord knew because He's Alpha and Omega. He knew what was going to happen, but it doesn't change this fact here. Saul, had you remained little, he would have established your kingdom forever. That kind of blows your mind. It was a big deal when Saul didn't remain little in his own sight. It was very costly. It didn't have to cost him his eternal life or soul, but it, it, it was a big deal. Now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, that's David. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. But it started with getting lifted up, right? Not remaining little in their own sight. I read this, and I can't remember what book I read it in, but I read it recently. And there's a quote from the author, and it was wonderful. He says, We must be brought to an end of ourselves before God can begin with us. We must be brought to an end of ourselves before God can begin with us. And really, it doesn't not, not saying before He could save us, I don't believe, but before He can really begin from the ground floor up doing, building the man He wants us to be. Okay? I remember the first house I remodeled, I had to, I had to gut it to nothing. When I say to nothing, I mean nothing. I'm talking the shingles off the, the asbestos shingles off the side, the sheetrock, the paneling that was under the sheetrock, uh, everything, everything, little hangings on the on the walls, everything, the baseboards, the doors, the transom windows, everything came out. I had sawhorses outside and all this stuff piled up, and I got it down to literally these wood walls. And this cypress wood, there wasn't a rotten board on the house. It was amazing. That was all perfect. And, and started back up. Little by little. God has to bring us to an end of ourselves before He can really begin with us. And that estimation of ourselves is so important, y'all. The spiritual attainment in the Lord is not the offense. 
false revelations, the abundance of his revelations, that's not the offense. The pride is. The ex- ex- exalting ourselves, esteeming ourselves, that is the offense. And so, y'all, we need to just be brought to, to a place, no matter what we've attained in the Lord, to, to remain little in our own sight. I think there might not be anything more offensive. I mean, we could maybe debate it. I didn't give it a lot of thought. There might not be anything more offensive than a arrogant, an arrogant Christian. An arrogant Christian. Someone that's uh, attained to a certain level in their Christian experience and their walk with the Lord and their understanding of the Scriptures and they've been used on mission fields and, and so forth. And yet, somewhere along the way, they lost their humility. They lost their awareness, a keen awareness of their great need for Jesus. Their desperate, their desperate need for the Lord. I liked you better when you first got saved. You know what I mean? That's kind of, and I was thinking about this, and I was thinking of myself. You know, in many, way, many ways, I liked myself better when I first got saved. I, my point is that when we first get saved and we love God, and we love everybody that loves God, and we're like a little puppy just bouncing around, and we just got saved and we gave our life to Jesus. That's literally how I was. And I'm, and I'm sure for a lot of y'all as well, we wanted to serve. Nothing was below us. You say we've we got a work day at the church cutting grass and weeding. I'm there, man. I'm in. You know what I'm saying? We're packing up tables and chairs, and nobody's watching who's doing it and who's not. I'm doing it, man. I, I'm in. I was just, and I want to stay that way, is my point. Because somewhere along the way, we can come to a place where where we think we've, we've just got it now. I've got it now. I've got it all together now. And I maybe, maybe I'm too important to load up chairs in the back of a pickup truck. But we know we're not. I mean, our back might not be able to anymore or something like that, but we're not. My point is that we remain little in our own sight. And somewhere we can shift from to where I've got this. We've lost the, the initial wonder and the amazement of just being saved. Just You accept me? You forgive all my sins? You make me part of your family? You're kidding me? This is awesome. This is wonderful. Don't ever get away from that, y'all, because that's going to help us remain little in our own sight. Nothing's too little for us to do for the Lord. If a cup of cold water in His name is what He asked, then we give a cup of cold water in His name. Somebody else is preaching 10,000 and they're getting saved. He's asking you to mop up a bathroom. So what? Do it for God. Remain little in your own sight. The Lord's going to bless us for that. We get to the place where we think we've got it, and I'm going to close with this. We don't have it. He's got us. Okay? We got Jesus, and He's got us. I don't have it. I don't have it all figured out. I haven't attained to a certain level of Christianity where now uh, you know, I can coast, or I've got it, or people are below me now in the church. Uh, I don't have it. He has me. He's got me right in His hands. And I need to remember that, and I need to be humble. Lord, I've been on so many mission trips and 25 years preaching in prisons, and and, and uh, taught, teaching the youth group and Sunday school lessons and, and all these different things. And I've seen on the praise team. And, but you know what? We don't need the Lord less after 25 years of doing that. We need Him more. 
And somebody that's truly humble knows that. And they realize that. And guess what? They're in a perfect place for God to use them more. If you wonder maybe why something's dried up, some ministry, something's dried up in your life, it could be because we're not little in our own sight anymore. I'm not saying that's the reason, but this is the word for our, for our church this morning. And Dee, you can come. And I just want to read this. I'm going to contrast and I'm going to close with this little passage, four verses, where David comes along later. We know David's sin, far from perfect. Some ways you could look at his sin and say it's worse than Saul's. But he was not the same in his heart towards his own sin. He was not the same in his heart towards God. He, nothing was more important than his relationship with God. And when he had been severed by his own sin, he wanted it to be reconciled. And God sent Nathan, even though it had been a long time, he did, David did humble himself and quickly repent and fall at the feet of the Lord and say, whatever you send me, I'm receiving it. Take the kingdom if you want to take the kingdom. But don't take your Holy Spirit from me, right? And so I just want to read this. Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David. This is David speaking to, uh, I think it was Nathan, one of the prophets to go speak to him. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, yeah, it was Nathan. I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep to be ruler of my people over Israel. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord and said, and look at the difference between him and Saul. When he said, I took you from being a shepherd and made you king of my people, David. David went and sat before the Lord in the Lord's house and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? And this was yet a small thing in thy sight, O Lord, but thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house for a great while to come. It's because God had made an everlasting covenant with David. Jesus Christ would come through this line. And this... And, and is this the manner of man, O Lord God? And what can David say more to thee? For thou, Lord God, knowest thy servant for thy word's sake, and according to thine own heart hast thou done all these great things to make thy servant, that's how he speaks to, of himself, know them. Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God besides thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. What a difference. You see what he's, he's doing? God made a unique covenant with David. He doesn't do that with every one of us. He did something in Saul's life. He doesn't. Paul's life, he doesn't do in all of us. But that is still the right attitude of man and God. You did these great things for me and you've made these great promises for me for years to come. Who am I that you even think that? But Lord, you said it and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe you for it. And I'm going to say there's no God like you, God. You're great. You're awesome. Everything we've read and everything we've heard, it's true about you, God. You see what I'm saying? Little in our own sight. That's a perfect place. It's the only place really to be for a believer. And we need to get at these altars or make an altar where you can and, and examine our hearts, not just this morning, but continually to remain little in our own sight so God can use us. So Christ can receive the full glory through our lives. He's not sharing it with you and me. He allows us to be a servant. He allows us to be part of His family. But let's take that time and meet with the Lord this morning. Lord, we come before You. Lord, I pray, oh God, help me to remain little in my own sight. At least 
importance. Not in the middle of the pack. Not above most people. Not pretty good. But to esteem myself apart from Christ as being nothing. Help us, Lord, as a people to realize our great and desperate need for Jesus at all times and in all things. Help us never become self-sufficient Christians. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.